TheHighWire.com is one of the fastest growing independent media companies today. The host, Del Bigtree, is standing up against pharmacological tyranny and connecting the dots for all of us and doing the heavy lifting so all of us have reliable, safe, and effective health options when it comes to vaccinations. In my opinion, I believe Dell is doing God's work for us all and uncovering what exactly is happening behind the vaccine discussion. Dell is here today to deep dive into topics that have been censored on many platforms. However, you can find the full 88-minute video at our Rumble page on scottyburgess.com or in the podcast link description. If this is your first time navigating to and using Rumble, please use Healthcare360's refer URL to set up your account. You can find this in the podcast description as well. For convenience, a shorter 22-minute YouTube-approved version can be found on our YouTube channel. Please keep in mind that it is heavily edited and it could be choppy at times during the publication. I invite you all to do your own research and help others start their own investigations into whether or not vaccines are right for you and your family. There are significantly more details and updates that are published in the media that the media is not sharing day to day. Folks, before I move on, I need to say what's about to be said. This conversation with Dell is heavy. Once you hear and learn the information that you are about to listen to, it cannot be unheard or unlearned. As a professional, I want to make you all aware of this fact, knowing that you all have a choice to listen or not to listen. If you decide to listen, thank you. We appreciate that. If you decide not to, it's okay. We understand. These are scary times, and we are not here to add to that fear. Rather, keep the nation informed of what is really happening as well as why it's happening. Moving on. Some of you may have noticed that we have completed phase one of our webpage redesign at scottyburgess.com including a storefront of our amazing affiliates. We certainly appreciate the feedback we have received thus far and phase two is soon to launch within the coming weeks before the big reveal. If you haven't had a chance to check out scottyburgess.com, we still invite your feedback. Please give it a visit at scottyburgess.com and support those that are part of the 360 Nation. If you're an Apple Podcast listener, it would mean a lot to the entire Healthcare 360 team if you could take a moment and write us a review, as reviews are the lifeblood to podcast growth and longevity. A positive review pushes Healthcare 360 to the top and brings these conversations to those who need it. Have a topic to bring to the nation? Head on over to scottyburgess.com and schedule a meeting with me personally. If Instagram is more convenient, you can reach me at my Instagram handle at scottyburgess. Now, let's jump into our conversation with Dell Bigtree. And as always, thank you for listening. Welcome back to the episode of Healthcare 360. I'm honored and I am so glad that Dell Bigtree, one of the fastest growing media personalities and companies at thehighwire.com is here with us today. Right before we started, uh, Dell and I said, we both understand hard questions have to be asked. There are hard questions have to be examined, not necessarily answered because we don't know if we have the answer or not. But they need to be examined and at least thought about. And everyone knows on this show, we are a fair and balanced show. These questions are going to come about. And if you can answer them, great. If you can't, go and do your homework. Everything's out there. You just have to go look for it. Del, thank you for being available. Let's get right to it. Yeah, let's do it. Who controls the media? Well, I mean, who controls the media is who funds the media, right? That's the question. It's just like any other business. You know, you're controlled by those that buy your product. In the case of media, mm-hmm. what you have to do is look at who's doing the advertising. Money doesn't come in other than that. I mean, that's really what drives 
a television station. Those ads pay for what's between the ads. I worked in Hollywood for many, many years. The Dr. Phil show on the doctor's television show. One of the things we always say about television that's different than movies is that the shows on television are really just designed to keep your attention so you see the commercials. The the commercials are what the television is all about, and we're just trying to keep you attached to the TV so you'll see the commercials, not vice versa, which is how most people think. They think, oh, the show's there and there's these commercials on the side. The commercials are what the television is all about. That is a billboard on your wall for whoever's advertising. So when we look at the advertising, at least in the United States of America, modern television stations and cable stations, somewhere between 50 to 70% of the advertising is coming from pharma. Pharma is also the number one most powerful lobby in Washington. So in both cases, the lobby that is buying politicians and putting more money into political campaigns is the same industry that is buying ad space and therefore deciding what you see on television and not just in your sitcoms, but also your news. And so when someone asked me who controls television, who controls the news, well, that's who was ever doing the most advertising. And right now, pharma's doing the most advertising. So what sectors of business are they really in? There are reports, you can find articles, and you and I both know that you can find anything you want out on the internet to justify your cause. But what sectors of business are they really tapped into right now? I hear farmland, I hear healthcare, we hear auto industry at this moment drug therapies as well. We're also learning that they're trying to control the vitamin supplementation market at the same time. What are they really involved in and how much of a shakeup to that cause? Who are you referencing as they? You're referencing they as media and television or they as pharmaceutical? Good question. When I look at they, I'm accessing the internet at this point. So the global internet, what's being reported and what's being released in publication. They, I think, is a very generic term. And I like to try, and and look, we're all trying to figure out who is the they, what's really driving many of the things that don't make sense in the world we're living in today. Who's driving this pandemic? Who's driving the solutions to the pandemic? Why do these solutions include technological things like being able to track me? Why is it I can't use dollar bills in stores? Who's making those decisions? So the they, I think, is vast. and, And I like to say, you know, I think a lot of people tend to lean towards what would be sort of more conspiratorial or conspiracy-minded, which is there's some small group of people, the Bilderbergers or, you know, the Rothschilds or something that (laughs) sort of from the top down drive this sort of global control. That may be the case. That may be the case. But I haven't been able to connect as a journalist. I haven't seen the direct proof of that. I think that Bill Gates is a gigantic player now in the world. In fact, I was just having this conversation again with my own team today, that I think that if there is sort of a global elite, which we have to assume there is, there's some group of whether they're politicians or oligarchs or the big power money players of the world clearly drive our economies and make a lot of decisions. My question is, who would be above Bill Gates? I mean, I don't know if this answers your question, but let's talk about what I'm asking. The question I'm asking as a journalist is who would be sort of the puppeteer of a Bill Gates? You know, I talk to people that say, oh, he's just, you know, a lower player that it is those Rothschilds and these these financial families, these interests that are so rich, they don't even get listed on the world's richest category. And I ask myself, who's got control of the future of where the world's going? And we were just discussing with my team, 
Microsoft is engaged with just about every technology from tracking us to tracking vaccinations to future microchipping. I mean, all of the things that are going to be, you know, the, the social credit scores that we see coming out of China, all the apparatus yes. by which we would establish our place in a more controlled world. Bill Gates has his hands in that. Then Bill Gates has his hands in really probably the best bet anyone ever made, which was in world health, right? He created these NGOs in ways that in so many different ways, everywhere we look, Bill and Melinda Gates or Microsoft are involved directly in pandemics, in even funding groups that have been doing the gain of function research, which could lead to a bioweapon or the vaccine against the bioweapon. All of the discussions of what came out of Wuhan, all of that is around global health. Global health, including multiple things, not just keeping us healthy, but what if we're attacked and they study the attack, who would attack? All of these things are being held right now in Bill Gates in many ways in his hands. So I asked somebody, I don't care if you control central reserve banking or all of these other things that have been money and interest and the powers that be oil and gas. If you control world health and right now, what is the first time we've seen the entire globe aligned in a singular battle against really an invisible enemy? It's yeah. health. It's this pandemic. Who brought that pandemic to us? Who was the first one to say, this is the global pandemic we've been planning for? Bill Gates. So right now, I'm not saying that he's the number one player. I'm just saying as a journalist, man, that guy seems like he's really high up there. There's other interests, though. And so to sort of be more generic about it, I think this pandemic has many planned elements to it. But I think you also have a lot of opportunism where groups that, you know, when we look at the World Monetary Fund and when we look at this idea of the Great Reset coming from the World Economic Forum, these are ideas that have been in place for over a decade now, this, this sort of global control or getting rid of borders, getting rid of nationalism around the world and making us a one world, smaller, more centralized government that runs everybody in the world, that all of our corporations are international corporations. That's a mindset that certainly suits those that don't live in the United States of America. I can understand why Canada likes the idea. I can understand why you know, hmm. Thailand likes the idea or Mexico, but why would the United States of America want to forward a plan that removes our borders and makes us less competitive, gives our workforce where we have to compete with the world's workforce, whether they're making 13 cents an hour or not. And that global initiative has really jumped in and yeah. used this pandemic. As they say, the Great Reset's real. They can say it's a conspiracy theory, but the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab have definitely said, let's use the opportunity of this pandemic to forward the Great Reset so that we can build back better. And now the president of the United States is literally labeling some of his terms, infrastructure building things as building back better. That is a slogan not written inside the United States of America. That is written by a globalist group that want to see the destruction of all borders and have said very clearly in their own videos, we dream of a world in the future where nobody owns anything, where everything is delivered to your door, where the United States of America is no longer the central power in the world, but is shared by a group of other nations. That's their statement right there, and they are using this moment. Did they create this moment? All of that could be in the space of conspiracy, but these are things that are actually moving forward. So when you ask who's controlling it, 
Well, a small group of very powerful opportunists are certainly jumping into the mix. And they haven't been identified yet as the puppeteers of the Bill Gates and said crew that may be adjoining them yet. They may be teammates. I think that you probably have a lot of battles going on. Like when you think of, you know, the mortals and the immortals, I think the (laughs) immortals are probably having their own battles right now over who's really in charge. It's one of the things that we as people should be using to our advantage. If what we want to hold on to is our own sovereignty, let's recognize that the kings are not aligned. And I don't like it when people just group the they and give them power as though this has all been planned. I don't believe that's true, actually. I believe that they are the sickest and darkest among us. Whether or not you call it evil or just a loss of God or an understanding that there's something bigger than you, most of these people have a God complex. And I believe that people with God complexes have a really hard time getting along with each other because they want to believe it's all them. I think there's a real battle going for control. We should be using that in an intelligent way to our advantage so that the sovereignty of the human being and not of the power elite is maintained. So before I jump into more deeper questions into the virus specifically, I want to go and review the CDC and the World Health Organization. Who controls them? We don't have to do a historical you know, timeline of this, but what's really what's happening now that people need to be aware of between well, both of those organizations? The WHO, the World Health Organization, is an international body, right? It's, it's really sort of like the UN. This is not driving the America, America's agenda. And I don't know, maybe you're an international podcast or like I am, but I still, we live in America, so I reference the world that I know. It's fascinating that when Donald Trump pulled our funding out of the World Health Organization, that made the number one funder, Bill Gates, just as I said, right? You take away our funding from an international organization, and then you have Bill Gates and China's right up in there. One of the big questions we're asking ourselves about the WHO right now revolves around this Wuhan lab. These are conversations that I've lost my YouTube channel, I've lost my Facebook channel for daring to question the origin of this virus. Is it a natural virus or is it a man-made virus? Well, right now, top writers and even CNN and MSNBC, even the WHO itself says it's still questioning the origin But when we looked at this sort of study that was just done investigating the Wuhan lab, who was in charge of that investigation? Well, it was said to be in charge was WHO. But what we're now finding out is that China drove everybody that was allowed in, selected all the people that were allowed to discuss it. And the only American that was in there is an American that heads a supposed environmental organization, but has direct funding in the Wuhan lab working on gain of function. So the only American allowed into that lab to supposedly check for us to make sure that it wasn't an escape from that lab was someone that has been funding that lab to do exactly the research that would escape and has been someone that has been outspoken mm-hmm. in trying to get away from the idea that it was a lab escape. So the WHO is run by Bill Gates, other nations, NGOs, but those are the types of things that it's not run by people inside the United States of America. The CDC is a government agency for the United States of America. In fact, it's actually, you'll see that when they speak, they have epaulets, which is it's really a branch of our military. Even though it's supposed to be about public health, its number one goal is to sort of stop bioterrorism or any sort of attacks in the United States of America. 
and also to keep America healthy, that our strength and prowess as a nation is supposed to be based on our own health and the fact that we've got to stay healthy. So anything, any disease that can sweep our country, whether it is delivered by a foreign agent like something from a Wuhan laboratory or happens naturally, the CDC tries to hold on to our global security through its aspects of health, which makes you wonder then why it's promoting a product that hasn't been through a safety trial, a product that killed animals in animal trials. Why would the CDC rush a brand new private technology out to the population when what it's supposed to do is make sure that technology is safe? And so then you start seeing mm. the funding that goes into the CDC. It has its own sort of nonprofit arms. And a lot of that funding is coming from, once again, who? Pharma. Pharma is a giant contributor to the money that the CDC uses to do its supposed research, to also do its promotions. And so there we get real conflicts of interest. And then, then I think we tie the CDC. We like to look at the NIH. Remember, when you're thinking about our health agencies in America, health and human services is the mothership, right? That's the broad yeah. band over the top. CDC is a part of health and human services. So does FDA, HRSA, EPA. All of these are under health and human services, NIH. NIH receiving the most funding for scientific research. So they're all connected. Really, you got to ask yourself about health and human services. And that's what ties in Tony Fauci. So then when you find out that Tony Fauci and, well, actually about five or six scientists inside of NIH own the patents being used by Moderna and are going to make money for millions of dollars for years to come, you have a massive conflict of interest that the agency that is supposed to be making sure a product is safe before it's given to us will be making money along with the product manufacturers for getting it out to billions of people around the world. These are the types of problems we're really having because the CDC is supposed to be an independent government agency, but now it's captured both by the industry that's funding it and by the products that are being sold from it. So let me go back and unpack some of that. Okay. CDC, the WHO, the Great Reset, is obviously, I believe in your opinion, it's all tied together. Before the Great Reset really takes shape, how many years? What are we looking at there? And what's the impact of that push? Uh, well, I mean, let's just say I think it's an unholy alliance between these things. I think that growing up in the United States of America, there should never be a world body that decides what's right for the citizens of the United States of America. Sure. Our founding fathers set out to create a dream that we would represent freedom from the world freedom from the controls of what was at that time the British government, but any government, Russia, China, anybody, nobody controls the United States of America. And we're supposed to be that beacon of light that shines and represents freedom to the world. When yeah. you find out that the WHO is listening to China, the communist state of China, we have a conflict of interest there. We should not be aligned in a health group that has a communist party that both oppresses its people and if, if you look deeply enough, appears to be killing innocent people and maybe harvesting organs and all sorts of other atrocities. 
Uh, we're not supposed to be aligned in groups like that, but we are when we are aligned with the WHO because that's what's binding us all together. CDC, you know, as I've pointed out, is connected. There's players that are connected. You have Tony Fauci, who's been on the board of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, who is now like, why is he on a board of a private nonprofit and also working in government agency and deciding things that will profit both those nonprofits and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and right. Microsoft? All of these things are really, I think, a total breakdown. How far are we away from the Great Reset? You know, there's things that are taking place. When I look at, and this is, a, you know, I'm thinking out loud right now, and I want to make a difference between, on my, when I'm speaking on the highwire.com, which is my show I do every Thursday, I lay out all of where my information comes from, and I really like to determine the difference between what I'm presenting as facts that we found and what is speculation. Right now, what we're doing is we're speculating on this global initiative but that has been clearly announced, the Great Reset, coming out of the World Economic Forum, which is attended every year at Davos, Switzerland, by the Clinton Foundation, by the Obamas, by the Bushes. I mean, all of these, George Soros and all of those huge players are gathering behind closed doors to have these conversations. So the question is, is if we're going into a global structure where the borders of the United States of America won't matter anymore, where decisions of how we're governed are not happening from within inside of our borders, but outside, this whole event around the investigation of the Wuhan lab has me very concerned that we are already, we've already been taken over by a global initiative. It's not something that's going to happen next year, two years from now. Let me tell you why I'm thinking this. Sure. We have a virus that has swept the world that has put the entire world into a martial law style lockdown. Let's not get into the details of whether it's real or it's not. Let's just say this virus arguably is the first time something has swept the entire world that has taken everyone's freedom away. Everyone's ability to walk out and breathe the air blowing across their face. It's a pretty astounding moment. What we know is it comes supposedly out of Wuhan, China, yet we're being told it was a natural event. Let me make this clear. Those that say it's natural say it's a bat-derived virus. There mm -hmm. is not a living bat within 700 miles of that Wuhan lab, and there were not bats being sold in that wet market. So how does a bat virus from 700 miles away get into a town and that is the leading theory over a Wuhan laboratory that has stacks and stacks and piles and incubators full of what? Bat viruses that are being taken through gain-of-function studies trying to make them more virulent, trying to make them infect human beings. And they say in order to figure out how to have a vaccine against that, it's being funded by nonprofits out of the United States of America and including NIAID and NIH. Tony mm -hmm. Fauci gave millions of dollars to that lab to do the exact work that we're talking about. So right there, I ask myself this, why is the United States of America funding any biosecurity, bioweapon, biowork of any kind? Why are we funding a Chinese lab to do that? I mean, maybe I'm old school, but growing up, I was born in 1970, my understanding was if we have enemies, it's going to be Russia or the Soviet Union when I was a kid, or China, 
maybe Germany, but they've been pretty cool for a while. I mean, that's about it, right? China and Russia are the big players. If we found out that we were funding bioweapons science in Russia, people would be out of their minds. And they should be out of their minds finding out that we're funding it in China. It goes a step further. Now that something has come out in the middle of China, that is the exact type of science that's being done, everybody's being censored that questions, did it come from that lab? That's scary already. United States of America, American companies, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram will immediately take down your channel if you dare to say that at least the circumstantial evidence around this lab being the only place a bat virus exists for 700 miles. So it stands a reason that could happen. It also stands a reason since that laboratory has had escaped viruses and we've complained about it in the United States of America before. So this is a biosecurity problem. But here's what's really scary. When we want to do an investigation and the Biden administration, our U.S. administration, is funding the WHO, has gotten back. Trump pulled the money out of the WHO because he didn't trust them. Biden puts it back in. Why are we not sending in our own CDC officials, our own military officials, our own bio experts? Why is that not happening? Why are we so in bed with protecting China, which Clearly, our government is. We are trying to protect China. And then the only American that gets sent in to tell us after the report that it didn't come from the lab was a guy who runs a nonprofit that was funding that lab to do gain-of-function research. All of these things are really scary because of this. We're all assuming it's an escape, right? Again, I'm thinking out loud. We're all saying, for those of us that are leaning in that direction, say, man, that's a lot of it would be a conspiracy to say that a bat did this when you look at how much circumstantial evidence you have. But why are we assuming it escaped? Why is that the assumption? And I was saying to my team recently, when we say it escaped, we also act like for some reason that would mean it's a milder virus. It wouldn't be as deadly. What if it was a bioweapon that escaped? But furthermore, how do we know it wasn't released on purpose? Remember, the only way you could determine that this is not a bio attack by China is number one, you're going to have to definitively prove what the origin is and then decide what the motivation or how it then ended up getting into the population. We haven't even gotten to origin yet. We haven't even locked down origin. And most decent scientists, including now the ex-head of the CDC, Robert Redfield, saying, now that I don't work for our government, I mean, think about what he's saying. I believe it's from that lab. So the head of the CDC was unable to get on television for the last couple of years and tell us, hey, man, everything I'm looking at says that came from that lab. So he couldn't speak. So we have a head of our government official, CDC, the one group that really should be looking at it, telling you I was muzzled while working for the government to protect China. What I would like to ask is if he believes it was leaked, how do you prove it was leaked? And how do you know it wasn't on purpose? How do we know this is an attack? And if this is an attack, now what do we think of YouTube and Facebook and Instagram that are censoring American citizens that are trying to do investigations to see what is the origin of this virus? And if it's an attack, what was the ultimate goal of that attack? I'd like to piggyback on that. So we know the Tony Fauci of Europe clearly stated and said that they've never isolated the virus. We had Dr. Tom Cowan on our show. He said the same thing. He held up the document. I have the document. I know you do as well. 
So now let's combine these two. So we have the head of the health and human services over in Europe combined with where we don't know where the origin of the virus came from. And then we created this new protein-based technology, an mRNA vaccine we know has clearly had adverse, let's not use the word kill, but what killed animals, but had significant adverse effects on humans. As a test subject, we had the test really because some of the vaccines surpassed animals, right? And then I'm going to add another note in there as well about the mask. I'm going to go back to the mask. This is, I don't know if you know this one, Um, you may, you may not, but it's going to add on to this. So where do we start there? How did this all come about? That's a triple whammy right there. I mean, there's three distinct points. And then all of a sudden we're supposed to trust this new technology, this vaccine. And I know you're not against vaccines. You're for a safe drug therapy. That's it. I'm for a safe drug therapy if they're proving not to hurt us. There's no proof in that. It's under emergency declaration. And we're frankly being forced because we're going to go into COVID-19 immunity passports. And you're going to laugh, Dell, because back in episode 37, I had a gentleman on my show talking about healthcare blockchain. And I was like, okay, this is great. Going back and forth, how great it's going to be, how it's going to help streamline healthcare more well patients, help really the streamline the financial part of that, which is a mess. And wouldn't you know, at the end of the show, he says, oh, by the way, we're working with Oracle. Now I can say that word at the time of the show, they said you couldn't announce what it was because it hadn't been released yet. No problem. I said, we're not here to, to bake anybody. So I went back and I listened to it about a month ago. Wouldn't you know that they were working on an immunity passport for the last year? Now, let me give a timeline for everybody. We were shut down at the country March 15th. I recorded May 15th. That's two months later. So here I have a CEO of a major healthcare blockchain company working with the largest SAP companies out there, Oracle. We know how slow and how fast things move in government. Yeah. Going back to my first part of this, we have three separate topic points coming back into one. Where do we even start with that? All right. Well, I want to sort of sidestep one of those talking points because- This is something that I deal with a lot. People ask me on my show. I have yet to subscribe to the idea that this virus has not been isolated. I haven't spoken to Cowan. I've spoken to Kaufman and others that have made that statement. I'm not discounting what they're saying. I'm just a journalist. I'm just an investigator. I haven't had that proven to me in a way that I feel comfortable saying that this virus hasn't been isolated. I also from my background, both working in medical talk, have talked to a lot of professionals from my world at CBS on the doctors, and also people in my research of doing vax and all the work I've done, world-renowned scientists around the world, and a lot of people that I trust say that we have isolated it. Okay. Okay. So I come from the place that we have. Otherwise, to me, it's impossible to figure out what's going on. If there's no isolated virus, then you've just toss the whole monopoly board and I don't know how we figure out who's where. Now, that may be the case. And I will say that if there's anything that I would say we've learned in watching this whole process out in the open, it's that immunologists and virologists and the leading scientists of the world really know far less about viruses and the human immune system than any of us realized. So I think there's a lot that's misunderstood. Tony Fauci, I can't think of a single thing he said that has proven to stay true 
for more than a couple weeks and certainly not over this last year. He has retracted and changed every statement he's made. Yeah. I think that shows you the state of science around this. But as a reasonable person, which is where I come from first, just really quickly, Cowan and Kaufman, this idea of germ theory versus terrain theory, the idea that your body creates viruses from the inside to get rid of toxicity. We're not going to get through this in a really deep way. Yeah. I'm sure you've covered it more. Yeah. But I say to myself, if that's the only way a virus is created, then what have all these scientists been doing in bio labs for the last 50 years? Obviously, they have a way of taking a virus and making it infect another species or another animal or a mammal. And in fact, I presented on my show just two weeks ago, Dr. Reed, I think it's Andrew Reed, who's done studies on the Merrick virus in chickens. And he takes infected chickens, sticks them in with healthy chickens, and they catch the virus. He can change the amount of time that it takes to kill those chickens based on how virulent that strain is. That says to me that there are viruses that can cross over and infect other chickens. And so to me, to get into a place of terrain versus germ theory, I'm going to stick with germ theory right now, maybe because it's what I understand. It's also the math and language that the entire world uses. And I think that if I can use it against them and make sense of this, that's where I'm going to come from. Does that make sense? Sure. So yeah, great that's where I'm at. So yep. I'd like to take Kaufman and Cowan out. I think that's an important discussion and one that when we get through all of this would be really interesting and maybe 5G and things are affecting our health that are lowering our immunity. I think all of that's possible, but for me, it confuses our ability to have a person place who, what, where, when, why. Sure. So let me pull that piece out. Then we get down to where did this come from? How does it spread? We're also seeing variants being created. If we don't know what the actual virus is, if we haven't created or mutated, mutated variants. I mean, we're seeing okay. mutated variants, right? What's it variating from? There's obviously some baseline everyone's referencing when they say we now have these different variants. And those are really top scientists that are not working for the pharma industry. They're not pro-vaccine. In fact, a lot of this is really backfiring on the vaccine program, which I think makes it a little more credible, too. When we're seeing these variants, many of these scientists are showing that vaccinating human beings is pressuring the virus to create specific variants. And something I learned last week is that, ironically, you could give a vaccine to someone here in America and give the vaccine to someone in England. It will create the same mutations, which I find I thought mutation was sort of more random, but it actually is repetitive. It can repeat in two totally different places, not related to each other. All of those things, I think, make this all incredibly interesting and easier to understand if we stick with germ theory. I don't know where the rest of that conversation was going, but to me, then it comes down to when did this start? Where did it start? We could question whether it comes from Wuhan too. We've got cases in the middle of September of 2019 from France. Uh, and here in America, we're going all the way back to now December of 2019 when we were told it doesn't arrive till January. So the timeline if we were to do really good investigations, isn't really adding up. So there's a lot to question. If we're going to be still focused on Wuhan, then we should be sending in our people, right? People that are really skeptical, that aren't setting out to prove it didn't come from the lab. Anything I talk about, the scientific method, right? The scientific method is essentially this. Any hypothesis and theory needs to be challenged with the most powerful skepticism that can be found. 
to challenge that theory, to challenge that product, to challenge that drug, to challenge that vaccine and prove that it doesn't work. Set out to prove that the theory is wrong. Set out to prove that the product doesn't work. If the theory holds up under that scrutiny or if the product holds up under that attack, then it's safe, then it's effective. We now live in a time where we have destroyed the scientific method. Now it's based on bias. Only people mm. that believe in vaccines do the vaccine safety studies and efficacy trials, usually the manufacturers themselves. Only the people that believe this isn't an escape from a lab are going to the lab to do the investigation on the lab. It's the fox guarding the hen house. And as long as we allow that to take place, we're never going to have decent answers to any of the questions we're asking right now. Where do you think this is going? How do you think the overall net result is going to affect our healthcare system today? Because people are worried. And we had on the show a few months back, probably one of the number one or top three minimally invasive heart surgeons out there. And he stated on the show, we weren't even talking about the viruses, but a hospital is probably one of the safest places to go because of the precautions and measures that they've taken. Hospitals, by definition, are one of the most dangerous places on the planet. Right. MRSA, unstoppable, antibiotic-resistant bacteria everywhere. Go in there in the middle of COVID, and you'll be lucky if they don't stick you into a COVID wing, no matter what you're there for, and ram a ventilator down your throat where you have a 9 out of 10 chance of dying. I can't think of a statement that's more foolish, but I know that's not your point. Let me have this little side note here close friend who's nurse paramedic. She says, Scott, without question, if you put someone on a ventilator, there's an 80% chance they're going to die, period. Healthy person, 80% chance they're going to die. Never mind someone being sick. On top of that, what's the upfront impact to the medical system in the US? Because people are afraid and that's people revere hospitals, especially the older population. That's the generation they grew up in. What are they to think moving forward? I think we need to separate that into two parts. Where did they want it to go and where is it actually going? I think that that's really the beauty of what's taking place. I'm wired a little bit different than most people. I think that I clearly recognize that these are horrifying times and horrifying moments. But I think the goal was to use vaccination, a global vaccination of every human on the planet. And believe me, it wasn't just about this vaccine. It was going to be every vaccine your children got that you didn't get. Plenty of science showing that the measles vaccine is worn off of you. Therefore, we need to re-up everybody's measles vaccines. So one of the things that I've been talking about for the last several years prior to this pandemic was that they messed up. They've destroyed really what was herd immunity around the planet using vaccinations to do what nature did far better. And now the vaccine program is failing. It's failing all around the world. We're seeing vaccine-resistant measles, which is one of the scariest thoughts there are because that is a very infectious illness that had a very low death rate when we started vaccinating for it. The big concern originally back in 1960 was, why are we going to mess with a childhood illness that's incredibly virulent, I mean, like incredibly contagious, but is not deadly? The death rate was one in 500,000 in the United States of America in 1961 before the vaccine ever got here. If one in 500,000 is deadly to you, then you better not walk down the street. You probably shouldn't even drink the water coming out of your tap. There's a million things you do every day that have a far higher death rate. So vaccinating for that, the concern was always that the virus would be pressured by the vaccine. And if it ever escaped or became more deadly or more virulent, then we've made a tragic error. And that is what's happening. There was a strain a year or so ago out of the Ukraine that is proving to be vaccine resistant. We have polio 
now starting to spread all over the world. And that is a vaccine strain polio. And it's going to be very hard to stop it. I've seen the meetings by the FDA and the WHO, things that will not appear on CNN. Here's their concern there. The people that are carrying vaccine strain polio and spreading it all over the world can be asymptomatic carriers, something that none of us knew what that meant. But now, luckily, we all do, meaning they get the vaccine. They are shedding and spreading polio for up to a year before they become symptomatic. To find patient zero and control the polio that's now spreading is going to be almost impossible. We've never seen anything like it. Infected people don't know they're infected for as long as a year. These are all crises that are taking place that the WHO is trying to hide by getting us all into a vaccine program. They don't, they don't know how vaccines are going to be the solution. Their solution is always just more vaccinations. So that was a lot of what this pandemic has been. Isn't that a vicious cycle? It's a vicious cycle that gets scarier and scarier. And I know we're probably going to get into a little bit. Geert Vanden Bosch, who worked for Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Gavi, is really pointing out what is a very terrifying notion that we now have an extremely highly mutating virus. Measles doesn't mutate that fast. In fact, if you think about it, since 1960 till now, we haven't seen an escape mutant, right? A viral escape, except in, as I said, uh, in the Ukraine. So that took about 60 years for that mutation to happen. Meanwhile, coronavirus, if you look at the news, I'm not making this up, just I think yesterday, it's now announced out of Israel that the South African variant can get around the Pfizer vaccine. Within three months, within three months, this virus has already escaped the vaccine. We've never seen anything that mutates that fast. When Geert Van and Bosch came forward, he, this is what he warned the world over a month ago, which a lot of my reporting over the last several weeks has been about. He's saying we've got to stop the vaccine immediately. All we are doing is teaching this virus to become more deadly. We've never done this with a virus that is this pathogenic and, and this able to mutate. We're now looking at maybe a thousand mutations. If Geert Van and Bosch is right, or there's uh, Dr. Andrew Reed, as I talked about, has a different theory, but they all end in the same place. Creating a virus that is so deadly it cannot be stopped and no vaccine can catch up to figure out how to stop it. We are talking about, as you said, they have created a scenario where they're pushing viruses now in a way that they're making a monster they cannot stop. This is why people that are waking up have got to wake up quick. We've got to wake up everyone we know and say this system of health is going to destroy, it is on track to destroy our species. I'm urging everyone in the audience members, if you are finding that this is light to you and that this is just something that you believe is happening, I recommend everyone to go support Dell. You can buy bricks. You can donate in different ways. I've purchased a brick and this is the only way, again, people like Dell and forces like Dell are going to be able to go in and get reasonable people under the law, which is the right way to do this, to stop this madness. The place to go, yeah. everyone, is I can decide .org, I-C-A-N-Decide.org. But you're right. We have a whole legal arm. We've won lawsuits against FDA, CDC, uh, Health and Human Services, and the National Institute of Health, and more cases coming. So all of that is very expensive, and it's tax deductible. So go to ICanDecide.org and help us bring this truth to the courtrooms where we can do something about it. Yeah, and we'll make sure it's all in the podcast notes as usual. 
Here's something I want to bring up that's rather important. So you won a court case, and this ties into what you're just talking about. The CDC cannot claim that autism is not caused by vaccines. You just mentioned that the CDC is not bringing up vaccine-resistant polio or other diseases and viruses. Why are they holding back information? Since all the moms in the world, though, all the moms in the world who have said, something's wrong with my child. Something's going on. Something was off. They said, no, it's not the vaccine. No, it's not the vaccine. Then all of a sudden. Let me just be really clear because our lawsuits are very specific for specific reasons. We did not prove that the CDC can't say that all vaccines don't cause autism. It was a very specific lawsuit for a reason. We asked the CDC to provide proof because on its website, it says vaccines do not cause autism. When you ask the question of your doctor and they send you the website, that's the first thing you see. It was the first thing the CDC wanted you to know. Yeah. Vaccines, meaning all 16 vaccines, we give in 72 doses, 72 vaccinations by the time you're 18 in the United States of America and counting. Now, there have been studies that looked at the MMR vaccine, and we knew that. My film that got me into this vaxxed from cover up to catastrophe was all about the fraud at the CDC around the MMR vaccine. CDC could say on the website, MMR doesn't cause autism. It would be somewhat fraudulent, but they would have studies they can point to that have come to that conclusion. I mm. take it a step further and show why those are fraudulent, but that's not the point. There are studies that exist. I could also say that the CDC could say mercury, or more specifically, the preservative thimerosal that contains mercury that has been removed from most of the vaccinations, that that, they could say, doesn't cause autism. They did studies that looked at mercury. They're terrible studies, and they are filled with fraud also. But again, what we're saying is they could make the statement based on studies that exist. What we asked for is we wanted to eliminate MMR and thimerosal. If you're saying all vaccines don't cause autism, and we're also diagnosing autism at a younger age, we now say we can diagnose autism at six months. So it stands to reason that if vaccines can be implicated in the cause of autism, it certainly can be caused by those first six months of vaccines. So that was what we specifically asked the CDC. Can you show us how you've come to the determination, what studies and what trials were done that the first six vaccines given in the first six months of life, which include DTaP, polio, Hib, uh, hepatitis B, Prevnar 13, one other, I forget what I'm missing, but those first six vaccines, Show us any studies that looked at those vaccines and proved that they didn't contribute to autism. In the end, they avoided us. We took them to court and they finally basically admitted. They handed us 20 studies and said, here it is. 18 of them were thimerosal and MMR and the other two had no bearing on the vaccines that we were asking about. So therefore, they have no proof and no ability to scientifically show any reason that they can say those vaccines don't cause autism. I want to make that clear because it's it's important that we yeah. understand exactly what our claim is by the Informed Consent Action Network. Now, you're asking the most important question. Why would our own government lie to mothers? Why would doctors be involved in giving a product that kills children? And this is a very, very important question. It's at the heart of any lawsuit there is. What would be the motive? It's also at the heart of any decent journalist. If you can't figure out why someone would do something, then you've got to do a deeper dig and figure out. You can't just accuse somebody of something and have no motive whatsoever. Motive is everything, right? Sure. So what would the motive be for the CDC and this vaccine court that's run by Health and Human Services 
to lie to mothers, to tell the world they're lying or they don't know what they're talking about or it's just a coincidence. It has to be financial and these companies are not held liable and they're free from litigation and discovery. That's where it really starts, right? If you think about every product in America, the Department of Justice and our government actually will sue. If your river is being polluted, you can go to the Department of Justice and you can go to the EPA and say, I'm being poisoned. Our government will provide lawyers to help you go after the corporation or we'll look at investigating these things. That's what regulatory agencies are supposed to do. They're supposed to investigate the danger by the for-profit industry that's poisoning you. Well, the problem with vaccines is we have reversed this. And we reversed it with the 1986 Vaccine Injury Compensation Act. And what that did was take liability away from all vaccine manufacturers, from everybody injecting with the vaccine, from every building you can be injected with, including now baseball stadiums and Dick's Sporting Goods parking lots, where apparently doing important medicine in the middle of a parking lot. They're all completely indemnified. What does that mean? What it means is, If you have to sue, if you drop dead after the vaccine or your husband does and you can't support your family, you got to sue somebody, right? You can't sue AstraZeneca, even though it's proved to cause blood clots because they're protected. You can't sue Johnson & Johnson that's had three or four sites just shut down because our government is protecting them. And since they're protecting them, you have to sue the government. To be very specific, when you sue for a vaccine injury, You are suing the Secretary of Health and Human Services. Remember I said the mothership of our health department, Health and Human Services, the head of Health and Human Services is who you're suing. That's the defendant. So now you want to imagine the greatest conflict of interest that ever existed. When you go into this pseudo court that's been designed by our government, remember you're suing your government. They've designed how this court system works. It has no judge. It has no jury. No press is allowed. No precedence is allowed. You're not allowed to walk into that courtroom and say, well, there's been another case that settled just like mine. Not allowed. No discovery is allowed in every other court case. Why do we know that talcum powder had asbestos? Because we were allowed discovery to say, we want to see your internal documents. We want to see, and they give you billions of piles and try and bury you in it. But you finally found the email where they admit, yeah, there's, hey, we're finding asbestos in it. What should we do? Don't tell anybody. Let's bury that document. This happens. This is why Monsanto is losing billions of dollars on glyphosate. This is why OxyContin, Johnson & Johnson, who's making one of our vaccines, is paying out billions. It's why Johnson & Johnson is paying billions on talcum powder. This is why OxyContin and the Sackler family or FenFen or, I mean, I could go on and on. We've watched this time and time again. Because you can sue, you know they always knew about the harm. If you can't sue, you can't get discovery, and this court doesn't allow discovery. Now comes the ultimate dagger into any sort of real legal action or truth. Health and Human Services in this courtroom uses the Department of Justice lawyers, government lawyers against you. And what they say is you have to prove that the injury that happened to you or your child was caused by the vaccination. And the only way to prove that is you have to find the studies that investigated that injury being caused by that vaccine and that the proof exists, that there's a connection that exists. Well, what did I just tell you? Mm -hmm. No studies have ever been done on the first six vaccines 
whether they cause autism or not. So if you go to court, even though your child was saying, hi, I love you, mommy, I love you, daddy, and they get a vaccination, and the next day they start slurring their words, because no study's ever been done, you can't say, here's the proof that a vaccine can do this. Who needs to do that wow. science? Who needs to do that science so that you could bring the truth out in court? Health and human services. sitting right across from you. Absolutely. Health and human services is supposed to be doing the science. Now imagine a scenario where the murderer in a murder case is the one that is handling all the forensics for the case. What is the motive? Here's the motive, and this is why I think Baxt and the fraud that that uncovers at the CDC. I think the government thought that they had a slight problem with vaccines when they took on liability. Remember, in 1986, all liability was taken away because the manufacturers all got together and said, we're going to blackmail the United States government. They threatened Ronald Reagan and said, we will stop making all vaccinations unless you protect us from liability. We know you like this product. We know that you want to mandate this for school children. And we will leave you hanging on a hook unless you take all of our liability away. Let me make one more point. This is something that we don't really think about a lot. Remember, the CDC is a military body. Its goal is to be able to protect the United States of America from a viral attack or a bacteria attack, right? A bioweapon. We all know this to be true. Yep. Well, how would it do that? It would do that by creating a vaccination. I know I'm in the weeds, but hopefully you have an audience smart enough to really follow this because it's a huge piece of this I rarely talk about. Yep. I appreciate, let me be clear, that's what the CDC is there for. I appreciate they need to do that job. Well, here was the juggernaut they found themselves in. Our government doesn't own facilities that make vaccinations. Our government doesn't have a way to do that. They depend on the fact that these private companies have these giant manufacturing plants and have these laboratories that can produce vaccines. So the CDC found itself in a real bind. If we are ever attacked by a bioweapon, our only solution will be to make a vaccine very quickly and to manufacture billions of doses of it. We as a government will never be able to do that unless we keep the pharmaceutical industry alive and this vaccine production plants alive. That's why we signed the 1986 Act, so that we would keep production facilities around so that if we're ever under attack, we can ramp up a vaccine right away. Additionally, they saw a problem. And all this is that we get the dilemma. Yeah. A drug goes through safety studies that take five to 10 years. They wanted to take away your need to have a long-term safety study so they could rush a product out in case of a bioattack. So they changed it from being a drug and called it a biologic and roll a whole new set of rules that it doesn't technically have to go through double-blind studies. So you have a pharmaceutical product that doesn't have to go through safety studies, has no liability whatsoever, also that in some hypothetical situation in the future, you can protect yourself from a bioweapons attack. Now imagine the government made this decision. I think they're all credible and reasonable reasons why they would make this decision. If we're going to lose our borders altogether yep. with the Great Reset, and we're going to be one people, one species. I don't know. I mean, what's the reality of that really happening? Why does this affect that? Well, you're talking about bioweapons, right? And yeah. you're talking about potential inoculate ourselves to protect yeah. the masses. But if we're becoming a global society and the borders are dissipating and they're melting away, then why even bother at this point? Maybe unless it's, unless it's still need, a threat. Right. Maybe you only need one bio attack that helps you break down those borders. 
And maybe that's all that was needed. I don't know that this was the plan, but this is the situation we find ourselves in. So imagine this. And this is what happened with the vaccine program. Government realizes it's in a bind. It has to create liability in order to protect our people, to make sure that we have an established base that can make vaccinations. There was one thing they didn't think about. The reason the manufacturers all wanted liability protection was the product was killing and injuring so many people, they couldn't make a profit. So it was a terrible product. But I don't think the government of the United States understood how bad it was Hmm. until they had 5,000 cases of autism in this court they'd created. Each case up until that moment was paying out three to five million dollars is what it costs to raise a child with autism. Multiply 5,000 by three to five million, and that was just the tip of the iceberg. They recognized that they had taken on liability for a product that would certainly, at the very least, bankrupt the entire health department in the United States of America and could lead potentially to the bankruptcy of our entire government and distrust in our government. Can you imagine they're now forcing a product, mandated on every school child, taking all liability away, and now you're destroying millions of people's lives with this product? What happens in the United States of America? All of that is why they constantly lie and constantly cover up any harms or dangers because they don't want the liability and they can't handle the lack of confidence. So to get back all the way to where are we at now and where is this going, I think this pandemic and this COVID-19 vaccine, from my perspective, is the greatest thing that has ever happened because it is revealing to everyone in the world and specifically to Americans how corrupt our government, how corrupt the connection between pharma and our government is, and media. All of it is being revealed to us right now. We are watching headlines of people getting sick right after the vaccinations. They're admitting now that the vaccination doesn't stop infection or transmission. Then what good is it? They're admitting now that people are having blood clots from AstraZeneca. Johnson & Johnson may have the same problem. There's over 2,000, I think, uh, nearly 2,300 reported deaths to the vaccine adverse events reporting system from this vaccination right now. Now they're admitting out of Israel that they believe that anyone that gets the vaccine will have to get the vaccine every six months and maybe two doses every six months because it is not handling the variants. Meanwhile, every study is showing that everybody gets naturally infected, is handling the variants just fine, doesn't have to get injected. They're going to have many years, if not lifetime immunity. It is becoming more and more obvious that modern medicine and this vaccine approach is going to kill countless people, and it will become more and more obvious. So when you ask me where are we going, we're going exactly where we needed to go, which is into the carnage and death and horror of a pharmaceutical-driven world that never cared about us, only cared about money, bought up all of our politicians who thought they were doing the right thing, but are now going to get hundreds of millions, if not billions of people killed with a failed vaccine program, and especially failed vaccines. I think we will find ourselves in a cataclysmic moment. They will attempt to blame those that didn't receive the product on why everyone that's had the product is dying. But I don't think they'll get away with it. And on the other side of this is a true awakening, a truly evolved moment where from all the death and destruction that is happening around us right now, I'm not making it up, the amount of people having heart attacks, the amount of celebrities dying, news anchors dying, We've got multiple baseball players, the healthiest in the prime of their lives 
that can't play baseball right now because they're so sick from the vaccine, but it's impossible that grandma got killed by those same reactions from the vaccine. People aren't that stupid. Yes, there are a lot of stupid people, but we are watching with our own eyes. And Rachel Maddow may get out there and say, get the vaccine, I got it. But will she say it six months from now when they say, actually, honey, it's failing, we need you to get two more? And then three months later when they say, you need to get two more, and then she catches the virus anyway and gets really sick? It doesn't matter who thinks they're on that side. It is the failing side. And it will go down in history as being the greatest scientific blunder in the history of mankind. That's where I think this all ends up. And on the other side of that will be an awakening that our doctors actually didn't know best and were responsible for the death and carnage and loss of health for hundreds of millions of Americans and probably billions of people in the world. I want to get to masks real quick because I know you've done a lot of research on masks. We had a healthcare angel investor on the show. When Trump was in office, he had explained in detail, Trump got a small group of, let's say, this folks, I don't want to give the number, I would be speculating at best. There was a couple where they're going to reignite manufacturing plans for PP production so they wouldn't have to import from outside countries. Okay. At that point, it was realized that the PPE that was promised to these American-based companies was being outsourced to China. Now, as we're going through this conversation, Dell, I had a moment and I go, wait a minute. Now I have the CDC reports that 60% of the imports, now this talks about what you talked about earlier with Dr. Fauci and that moving goalpost. 60% of those face masks or uh, health masks that were coming in were failing minimum specs based on the guidelines of the CDC and the FDA. I said, wait a minute, our numbers were spiking, blue versus red state, however you want to evaluate that, who cares at this point? But we had increased numbers and the government knew that we had a minimum spec that wasn't met, but yet our numbers were going up. And our government still was continuing to purchase from the same entity, China, and importing those PPE pieces of equipment. Then Fauci moves the goalpost again and says, no, you need to wear two masks. They saw the data of the 60% of those masks failing. They said, look, if we're covering 50% with one mask, then if you double up, you'll get them all. That was their logic, at least. (laughs) Kind of comical. Why don't you walk us through? Well, there's so many layers to this. I like to come from a common sense perspective. We could get in the science, and I've covered the science. I was walking to the airport and I saw all these companies that you can get some sort of piece of cotton right next to a keychain. You can buy it in a plastic wrap. You can get something that looks more hospital-like. You can have people that are tying bandanas around their face. If this was really a deadly virus, I assure you that level of selection and absolutely, it doesn't say FDA approved on any of these masks, okay? Any Tom, Dick, or Harry is allowed to create a medical device under these circumstances, call it a medical device, and people are wearing it. That makes no sense whatsoever. If this truly is a virus and masks stop it, you'd have to assume one type of mask is better than the other. And if we really need to nip this in the bud, somebody would have stepped in and said, there's only this type of mask and only companies that go through rigorous testing and prove it can stop the microns or stop the particles. I mean, I've seen celebrities wearing yarn knitted, you know, uh, it was Alyssa Milano with her crocheted mask. It's absurd. It's a five micron virus. There's no way something like that's going to stop it. No way whatsoever. There's no regulation over these products. If these products are designed to 
save us from this deadly virus, then why didn't the United States of America and Tony Fauci, people actually care, create a real regulatory agency to make sure we weren't wearing bull crap on our faces? So right there, it's baloney, all right? Right there, they didn't do what they would normally do if they truly believed masks work. They would have to know it was a specific type of mask, and they would have mandated that that's the one everyone has to wear. They didn't do that. Also, if this coronavirus is a biohazard, as we're being told, then where are the receptacles when I'm seeing these all over the ground? If this is a deadly virus that we're trying to stop the spread, we should have hazmat receptacles everywhere we go. We don't have that. This is a facade. This is a cartoon. This entire thing is about control and has nothing to do with viruses. And lastly, just on that very specific point, where are the PSAs that teach me how to wear a mask? I had two OSHA scientists on my show that came in and said, we go hospital to hospital. Our job is to teach doctors how to wear their mask. They don't know how. Doctors don't know how. So why is the gas station attendant and the, and the manager or the hostess at the restaurant, what do they know about how to wear a mask? And let me tell you something. You know what OSHA says? The moment you touch your mask, it must be thrown away. Immediately go and wash your hands. You have just contaminated the entire process. Yet all we do is see millions of people constantly doing this with their masks. And then touching my fruit, touching the doorknob, touching everything that we are going to touch. So I'm sorry, masks are totally baloney. They do not work. They know they don't work. This is an exercise in futility. And then let's talk about the science. The biggest study that the CDC ever did came out, I want to say, three weeks or a month ago, where they actually looked at every county, masking and unmasking counties, compared them, restaurants, everything. This study must have cost hundreds of millions of dollars. And in the end, it looked at like the first 30 days of a mask mandate, then 30 to 60 days, then 60 to 90 days, mm -hmm. and sort of broke out these different spaces. And here's what they discovered. At the very top, like you just said, one mask stops 50% and the second mask stops 100%. That is not at all accurate. The best study CDC came out with only determined this. The use of wearing masks led to as high as about a 1.8% or 2.2% being the highest little peak. There's a little peak where we had a 2.2% reduction not in cases, but in the growth of cases, meaning they were still <laughs> skyrocketing, but it was able to slow that skyrocket down by 2.2%. So it wasn't a 50% reduction. It wasn't a 75%. It wasn't 40. It wasn't 30. It wasn't 10. It was a 2% reduction with everybody that wore their masks diligently in counties that had to do it. When you're as low as that, looking at hundreds of thousands of cases, I think that that would fall in the space of not even being statistically significant. But when we destroy the economy, the United States of America, and every government and every citizen in the world can say, I lost my job. We lost our place in the world. We lost our vacations. Kids committed suicide. Parents have thrown themselves out a window. Drug use at an all-time high. Deaths from heart disease and cancer because they won't go into hospitals. All of this so that we could get a 2% slow down on the rise in the virus. That is the scientific fact. Masks don't work. They never did. And I believe that Tony Fauci should one day be put up just on the same as the Nuremberg trials. People like Cuomo and Fauci and Deborah Birx because they lied to the people and got them killed. 
Let me be specific. I have been saying from the beginning on the high wire, it's why you can't find me on YouTube or Instagram or Facebook is because I have said masks do not work. There's no point in wearing them. We might as well just get immune to whatever's around the way we have since the dawn of man. I've also said though, but if you're in that high risk category over the age of 65 with other comorbidities like heart disease, cancer, COPD, diabetes, which makes up over 80% of the death toll around the world are all in that category. They should be protected. I've said this. Their nursing homes need to be protected. We shouldn't have mm-hmm. sent sick people in, write a law like Cuomo did and got all the nursing home, those people killed up there by that law. We should have protected them. When I mean why Tony Fauci should one day face crimes against humanity, just in the masks alone, by telling this country and the world that masks work, I read a story out of Arizona of a teacher that was in her school. They were distance learning, so she was only in contact with other teachers. And as the article went, she only was in close contact with two other teachers. They all wore their masks religiously, yet she still contracted COVID-19 or SARS-CoV-2 from one of the teachers that did end up being infected, that was healthy, got infected, somehow it spread through their masks. And then it said, unfortunately, she died. And then in the article, it said, I believe she had lupus and heart disease, had two other comorbidities. Mm -hmm. And because Tony Fauci told her that that mask was protecting her, she is now dead. I never made that statement. I would have said to her, you should not be in the school right now. This virus is not deadly for 99.9% of us, but you are in that small percentage group that is at risk. So you shouldn't be out in public. You shouldn't be trusting a mask. You are in danger. And instead, Deborah Burks and Tony Fauci and the Cuomos of this world have made people believe in things that do not protect them, and they are now dead because of it. Additionally, all of the treatments you mentioned earlier, yes, I believe in treatments. I think that we've shown in multiple studies that mostly this is a vitamin D deficiency. People who are low in vitamin D, they die from COVID-19. If you have robust vitamin D, it is almost impossible for this thing to even make you sick, let alone kill you, number one. But we're also seeing trials all over the world of hydroxychloroquine. And let me be specific, hydroxychloroquine with azithromycin and zinc. Every study that used that combination in low doses, around 400 to 600 milligrams of hydroxychloroquine, saw amazing success. Ivermectin, amazing success. Budesonide, amazing success. Yet Tony Fauci, Deborah Birx, Andrew Cuomo, and other governors like that restricted people from being able to use life-saving treatments. And therefore, I think they're responsible for at least 300,000 deaths in America and counting. I think these people will one day, I really do believe one day, they will go on trial for the crime against humanity and the murder of innocent people. I am not mincing words. They have murdered innocent people with what should have been just a bad cold virus we could have handled very easily. In short, we're doing better with our natural immunity, fighting off a virus. I think to be perfectly clear, I will never tell someone what to do. Do your own research. Read the trials of these vaccines. Go back because we've covered these trials and read through them on my show, thehighwire.com. What I will say is this. For about 99.9% of us or better, this is just going to have mild symptoms. It'll be a cold. You might get the sniffles. You might get a cough. And then you will have 
what is being determined by multiple robust studies around the world, a long-term immunity. Already, certainly as long as this virus has been here, everyone that caught it is still immune. They believe it looks to be multiple years, if not a lifetime immunity against this strain of coronavirus. Yet Hmm. the vaccine is proving anything but. Everyone getting the vaccine, they're already admitting, will catch the virus anyway. So if you're getting sick from the vaccine in order to avoid getting the virus, guess what? You're going to get sick twice and probably more. Because as we're learning from multiple scientists, that specific immunity to that one spike protein that you've gotten from the vaccine means your body's now blind to all the variants that are coming at you. You are going to be under constant threat the rest of your life if you get the vaccine. If you catch the virus naturally without the vaccine, you're going to be good for a very long time. There's no doubt about it. The only way to achieve herd immunity right now is to naturally catch this wild virus prior to getting the vaccine because you're destroying the robust immunity as soon as you get the vaccine. You'll never, as far as we can tell, be able to get to a long-term immunity. The vaccine will block you from that. So we can't get to herd immunity using the vaccine, which is the only reason all of those people would, you know, deep in their hearts, want to protect their grandma. I understand that you're doing it from a loving place. The vaccine does the opposite. It's going to put you at risk. It's going to make you vulnerable the rest of your life to this virus, and it's going to make you an asymptomatic carrier at times where you will spread it to your grandma who can't protect herself. For those that are in that high-risk category, you've got to assume that if the virus, which it can, this spike protein, I'm going to be talking a lot. People want to check out the highwire.com. We're going to really be talking about this. It is known that this spike protein can cause blood clots. It can cause heart attack. It can cause thrombosis in these issues in a very rare subset of people. But you must understand, if it can do it, injecting yourself with a product that makes your cell produce the spike protein is putting you in a definitive, a known risk for blood clots, for heart attack, for thrombo, all of these things. So whereas in a natural scenario, we might be able to protect those that are in the high-risk category, if we inject them, we are putting that danger right into their body. When we look at the immunity around the planet, there's a lot of science that says that, you know, roughly 60% of us, maybe more, are already immune from the cold we had last year, which means we're not going to suffer from this virus. So we won't be at risk for the blood clots or the heart disease. But if we all get vaccinated, 100% of those vaccinated will be putting themselves at risk for blood clots, heart attack, and all anaphylaxis and Bell's palsy and all these issues. So ask yourself, do you want to sort of take your chance with nature? And once you've had that dance, you now have lifelong immunity, or do you want to absolutely put yourself at risk for everything that's dangerous about the virus and get no long-term immunity? Those are the choices you get to make. I have one last question. If I can steal a little bit more of your time, Dale, the mRNA is is known to be made with nanoaluminum technology built into it. Is that the tipping point? outside of vitamin D of being filled with heavy metals, because I mean, if you look at the environmental working group, the amount of mercury and aluminum and everything else that we're toxic with, are there other options here that we need to consider as well? And do you have any information on that at all that, that you've studied, have heard about? No, in fact, I'll, I'll admit I haven't heard that at all. I will look into that. My understanding, and I could be wrong, is that this product does not have aluminum. The nanotechnology is a fatty lipid. It does have PEG, polyethylene glycol. 
which many people are allergic to and don't know it, which is why you can have this anaphylaxis reaction. Mm. Um, if there is aluminum, that would be the first I've heard of it, and I'd have to look into that. Certainly, I'm a believer that aluminum is incredibly dangerous. It's why the childhood vaccines, especially hepatitis B, that sure. vitamin K shot we're giving to day one old babies is a lethal dose of aluminum and is probably why we have so many sick children in this world. Whether or not aluminum's in this vaccine, I haven't seen that. I, I think there's more, what I'm looking at is more an issue of the spike protein, of the manner with which it inserts itself into the cells, and the issue that the vaccine, even, even if I believed in vaccines and, and what it should do, it needs to neutralize the virus and kill it dead. That is how you make sure that it doesn't mutate, and that is how we make sure we protect everyone around us with herd immunity. This yeah. vaccine does not do that. And probably the greatest danger of this vaccine is that it doesn't stop your infection. Therefore, it turns you into an incubator that simply keeps your symptoms down. So now imagine you have a deadly form of this virus. Normally, it would enter somebody and kill that person dead. That may sound like a bad thing, but that's why our species is still alive. Because a deadly pathogen kills its host. Therefore, it cannot spread. This is why we know viruses throughout history have always evolved to become less deadly because if they kill their host, they don't proliferate. So the virus learns to be less deadly so that it survives. The only way you can make a virus move the other direction and become more deadly is to give a product to people that it doesn't kill them when they get a deadly pathogen. It makes them vulnerable and it allows that pathogen to continue or to even become more deadly. That's what these vaccines are doing. And in case you think it protected you, now recognize what they're saying out of Israel. The Pfizer vaccine is not protecting against the South African strain. We're only moments away before we'll hear the same thing about Moderna and another strain. We are creating variants using these vaccines mm -hmm. that will be the demise of everybody that got the vaccine. It's a terrible situation. I wish it wasn't true. I was a CBS producer on the medical talks for the doctors. I have spent my life celebrating medicine and science. I love great medicine. I love doctors. I love scientists. I know they mean well, but we have never had a natural virus or bacteria that swept the planet and wiped our species out, not since the dawn of man. But if we continue to rush science, the two most dangerous words ever put into one sentence, if we are going to live in a time like we do right now, where pharma and every company that wants to can crank out a vaccine without doing a long-term safety trial for two years or mm -hmm. five years, or I would prefer 10 to 15 years with a brand new technology like this in case it makes people infertile, in case it makes their children infertile. These are all things we need to see when we're messing with DNA and RNA. We've seen none of that. To anyone that questions me, it's this simple for me. Why did we ever do safety trials of any pharmaceutical product? Why? Why did we do long-term safety trials? Because what we're yeah. saying now is they were irrelevant. As long as the assumption by the manufacturers is that it'll be safe, then we should all inject it into every human being on the planet. And if we'd done that with thalidomide, none of us would have had arms and legs. If we'd done that with other products like that, we would all be dead. And I think whether or not this vaccine kills everybody that got it, and there's plenty of science that says it could, if we continue to rush pharmaceutical products onto the market with no safety trials, if this one we survive, it's only a matter of time before they put out a product that's given to all of us and we all die. There's no way a government should ever be allowed to inject us things we don't control. 
And by God, we should never trust the pharmaceutical industry that pays out billions of dollars all the time for one single lie, the lie about safety. That's why they pay billions of dollars. That's why they always recall their products. We cannot allow them to make products that never get tested for safety, or we will not survive as a species. We're smarter than that. The scientific method must return. We must get back to science being done correctly. And I'm sorry, maybe half a percent, which is how deadly this is or less, it's really about 0.2%, 99.8% of us will do just fine with this virus. But for that 0.2%, I'm sorry, maybe you will die a year early. You were dying of cancer or heart disease or COPD. Maybe that was accelerated a little bit, but every flu and every rhinovirus and every coronavirus does that. We need to slow down. We can afford a half a percent death rate from a natural virus. Can we handle an 80% death rate from a scientific mistake? No. Let's never make that mistake. Though I always leave a staple end of the show. Educated guy, obviously. Uh, I don't know where you would find free time. What do you enjoy learning? What do you enjoy listening to? Where do you spend your time reading? I obviously am very passionate about what I'm talking about. Yeah. I have to remind myself that I have children and a family and that we should probably go and spend some time on a beach or get in a boat and go out fishing. What I love to do is to investigate science and stories and stories of corruption. And this issue at this time, I'm having the time of my life. This is fascinating. It's important. It's interesting. And I'm one of those lucky people that gets to wake up inspired and passionate. And I'm surrounded by an amazing team of people that care as much as I do. And so that's what I do for fun. The rest of the time, I try to sort of remind myself to slow down a bit. Let's go play some baseball or uh, get out and do some snowboarding or boating or something like that. I love what I'm doing. You get to leave the audience with any last statement that you like to leave with them. The floor is yours. These are very, very scary times. For many people, you were probably conspiracy theorists at one point. And now those conspiracies may look like they're coming true. For others, you never really thought like that, but the world is starting to look a lot more like some conspiracy theorists described years ago than the reality you thought you were living in. These are dark times where it is illegal to breathe the air blowing across our face. People are being tackled into the cement by police officers because they want to be able to breathe the air on this planet. We are talking about passports that may not allow us to get on an airplane to travel or go into a restaurant to eat. Or maybe if we're really unlucky, Amazon and Whole Foods won't even deliver the food to our house if we don't have some sort of passport on our phone. We've seen a story just recently, because I know this is broadcasting a little bit later, of a volcano in the Caribbean where only those that were vaccinated with this totally untested, dangerous, potentially dangerous product they're the only ones allowed to be evacuated. These are times like we never imagined we'd be in, and they look a lot like scary times that we've read about in our history, whether it's Nazi Germany or China or the Soviet Union, times where the powers that be and the moneyed interests took the lives away from innocent people. But at the other side of every one of those times, history always proves to be the same. There is a light. And there are a people that step out of that time into an evolved consciousness and will hold the world in a more beautiful place 
for some period of time to come. We are in that very dark and dangerous place, and I think it's going to get even darker for a short period of time. But what we must recognize is that these are the birth pangs of evolution. Whether it was a virus that came upon us a million years ago or whatever animals, that evolution always comes with pain. That birth always comes with pain. And on the other side is a greater time, a greater species, and a greater understanding. I have complete and total faith that this pain and this time was what was necessary to wake up enough of us to make history once again. There's no page in a history book that has ever been written that said that we outnumbered the other side and the battle was easy. It lasted about 25 minutes. I haven't read that page anywhere. Every page of every history book in every nation of the world is filled with the blood and the tears and the love and the passion of people that were facing insurmountable odds and made the decision to stand for freedom and truth rather than live on their knees. Living with a piece of fabric wrapped around your face that doesn't work, being forcibly injected, that is what every people has rejected since the dawn of man. We will reject it again. And once again, I truly believe if we stand together, if we stand up now, the sooner we stand, the quicker we will bring this ugly and dark time to a close once again. But what I do know is that rainbow will arrive, that sun will break through the clouds and through the rain, and our grandchildren and their children after them will read in their history books that once again, a brave and noble people stood for the truth, stood for what was right against incredible propaganda, against incredible, powerful, moneyed instruments and technocrats, and maybe even tracking machines, and won our freedom again. We get to be those people. We chose this time. Stand up and be accounted for. Thank you. Well said, Dale. I appreciate that. Nation, thank you for all your time and listening to this. Uh, you have a choice to make. I would highly encourage everyone to go over to the highwire.com. We'll leave all of Dell's information. I also invite everyone to donate to the Informed Consent Action Network as well. I have, I believe in this. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but I've tried to tag you a few times on social. I'm trying to get you over. I've been looking to get you on the show for a month because it's an important topic and it's something I'm passionate about as well. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being a part of the nation. We'll see you for the next one. Take care. My gosh, that brain of yours is amazing. The amount of information and the, the passion that you have for it too. What else is in there? <laughs> a lot. There's a lot going on. <laughs> yeah, no, no kidding. No kidding. Appreciate it. I hope you too will support the work Dell Big Tree and his team are passionately leading to help make our world better. Please visit Dell and his work at both ICanDecide.org as well as TheHighWire.com. From all of us with the Healthcare 360 team, we thank you. We'll see you for episode number 87. See you there.